Ooh, I got a little uh, black cherry jello. It's great. Sugar free. Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to the fifth. Hey. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to the fifth episode of Be Real, guys. I am Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Goddamn Ballard. <laughs> oh, wow. What's the difference between the regular Noah and Noah Goddamn Ballard? Well, that's also a question that I'd like to ask similarly tonight is, what's the difference between fly Jeff Goldblum and just normal Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> you texted me about this. I, I'm ready for some uh, some good theories um, that blur the lines between Goldblum the man and Goldblum the performer. You got those for me? Uh, I have pages of handwritten notes about good. all those things. Good. Uh, and we'll get to this. So I guess we've spoiled it a little bit, guys, but The Fly is one of our movies uh, this week. Can we say up front? What's and, that? Can we say up front and be annoying this time that uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Be Real Guys? Yeah, you can. You can follow us on Twitter at Be Real Guys. All one word, none of those little spaces or anything. And then mm. real, spelled like a film reel. Perfect. And you can also send us your uh, questions, comments, and concerns to berealguys at gmail.com. Noah, you deal with the concerns, though. I don't, I can't, I can't right now, you know? I'll handle all the concerns. <laughs> don't you even worry. Okay, comments and questions I'm good with, though. What is the old theme? The theme for tonight is the reclusive genius. Right. A genius looking to hang out, as you put it. A genius looking to hang out. Which I think but, is a great uh, theme, because th- it allows us to... It's kind of like a less obvious binding principle between these three movies. Or, like, they're, you know, they're very different movies, because, you know, some of them are about writers, some of them are about people becoming giant bugs... The movies this week are, well, Chance, your recommendation, uh, well, we basically jumped off from uh, Ex Machina that we both saw, Yes, and we wanted to talk about that because we've received some anonymous complaints that some of our movies are a little bit dated as far as relevant goes. Wait, we have? So we thought, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I feel like there's been some criticism. <laughs> I know I I know that I've been critical in my head after publishing some of the podcasts about like maybe no one has seen Sphere. I think that people should have seen Sphere. I feel like Sphere was a pretty good movie to pick. If you haven't listened to it, last week we discussed uh the movie Sphere. If you'd like to download <laughs> that episode. <laughs> yeah, it's now uh it's now 14.99 on Bandcamp or pay what you want. Right, but with a minimum of fourteen ninety nine. Anyway, this week, this week we jumped off from the movie Ex Machina, which we had both seen, and then Chance you suggested The Fly, which I had never seen. Right, and then uh, I think I suggested Finding Forrester. Yeah, that's right. So I like this this model that we've set up. Like we pick a movie that we've just seen recently, and then I suggest one, and you suggest one. I think it's a really 
it's a good bonding thing, I think, for us. I to- I think so too, and like, it's also like, it can get a little tribunal in terms of the suggester uh, defending their choice. Um, but I think that that works well. I mean, like, if you're alluding to the fact that I pick incredible movies <laughs> and you pick just okay ones. Or ones like this week that I found deeply upsetting, <laughs> then, then like you're right, it is tribunal. I think I might have found Finding Forrester more upsetting than The Fly. Finding for okay, we don't have to get into that just yet. Why don't we hop in with uh, Ex Machina? I agree. Keep it topical. This movie came out. Keep it topical. This year, Keep focused. Keep it lean. It's still in the theater. You can still go see it. Right, and I think Lincoln, Nebraska, where Chance is uh, broadcasting from, just got it. So, well, I saw it a month ago. So, but it is still in. The were you Were you traveling? <laughs> no. Well, I traveled to I traveled to the old Eleventh and P. Marcus Grand. Hey, uh, here's a a fun note for people who've ever seen me. Uh, I got carded trying to buy a ticket to this movie. So that's cool. That's great. I'm a 24-year-old boy, so that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Chance, can I tell you about something before we get into Ex Machina? Yeah, man. Dude, so you ever have that moment where, well, I guess you don't have any facial hair, so you don't, you can't relate to this. 24-year-old boy. uh, I had a beard disaster this morning. What does that mean? Well, I was, like, trimming the sides of my face to try to get, like, the beard less... Like just like less full, and I like like I I went in too far on like my left cheek, and I was like ah fuck. So then I trimmed all the way down the cheeks and like the neck, and then like rocked a goatee all day. Oh my god! And got so Ew. much so much shit from like all my colleagues yeah. all day, and so now I came home and I'm rocking just a mustache. So, <laughs> I mean you know. You're a quick-witted guy. You don't you don't give much ground to people. Um, I feel like yep. don't you think? <laughs> yep, affirmative. Don't you think your coworkers were just waiting for the day you came in with like a glaring mistake attached to your face <laughs> so they could finally kind of <laughs> give it back? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know them so well. Well, you know, I'm just guessing. In many ways, this building isn't a house. It's a research facility. I want to talk to you about the greatest scientific event in the history of man. Are you building an AI? So, Ex Machina came out this year. It was written and directed by Alex Garland, who is a novelist and screenwriter screenwriter of some note. Um, This movie is about sort of a mid-level but rising fast computer programmer at this universe's Google, basically, called Blue Book. Um, and he's called to the remote... Do you want... Pacific Northwest? What do you think? Uh, it could have been, like, most of Scandinavia, probably, that this guy owned. Yeah, the r- sort of remote home of the prodigy who founded the company, who I think we only know as Nathan... Um, right. For basically a special project is all we know. He's airlifted uh, into a really secluded area. Well, he like won a contest because like the first shot is him like seeing on his screen that he's won a contest. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, and the reward is like going out and meeting the CEO of the company. Yeah. But then when he gets there, he realizes he's part of this test. And what's the test called? Chance? I don't remember. It's the Turing test. Um, the Turing test to see if um, a human can tell whether or not they're interacting with a robot or if they're interacting with a human. Yeah. Or a computer and a human. And then the, cur- so the curveball. He's. The curveball in this situation is that Nathan has created basically uh, a humanoid woman robot named Ava. A hot robot. Yeah, who he knows um, clearly is a robot because her sprockets and gears and stuff are are showing. She's showing a little bit under the hood, so to speak. (laughs) Right. She's showing a little sprocket. Um, And, uh, yeah, so it's sort of like a reverse Turing test, basically. It's basically... Which... You know, they get into several arguments about like whether this is valid or not in the movie. But it's like, does can he be convinced he's acting with a having a conversation with a human when he clearly knows that it's robot? right? Yeah. And then Nathan like interviews him at the end of the day and sort of assesses like if they're forming a relationship, like what their interactions are like on sort of a, an aesthetic level. She's incredible. <laughs> The challenge is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Will it be possible? Why would it not be? But yeah, uh, this movie's awesome. Can I just say that? (laughs) You just did. Do it. Well, I I think this movie was awesome. Um, It, like... It sets its sights, like, very low, I would say, mm-hmm. as far as, like, how epic a robot movie could be, like, compared to, like, whatever, iRobot or, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think of other robot recent movies. Or, like, goddamn, like, uh, what was that stupid-looking Chappie? Give me a break. Oh, yeah. It was not, it was nothing like Chappie where you, like, end up, like, wanting to cuddle with the robot or whatever the point of that movie was. Um <laughs> but yeah, I, it set its sights really low. It was just like a three-character story, basically. Yeah. It could have been a it could have been a fucking play. That's like, true. It was, it was, it was fascinating, and I thought that when it eventually did hit like the ball out of the park, like in a storytelling way, with the twist at the ends, like because it had set its sights on like realistic expectations for what, like a movie should do. I feel like that's why it paid off in such a promising and such a like a fulfilling way. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I you know, I was reading a quote from Garland where he expressed like a really minimalist sentiment when it comes to commercial film. The budget for this movie was only 13 million dollars to put that in con- yeah. to put that in context, the budget for uh Mad Max Fury Road is 150 and the budget for Avengers Age of Ultron is 300. So like 13 million is pennies. Um but what do they do with 300 million dollars? It certainly isn't putting it into the script it seems. <laughs> I mean I think 290 goes to Rob Downey and then you're kind of working from there. Um right. But yeah, he expressed that like um everything about this movie was sort of in exercise in relishing in the budgetary and space limitations of the fact that this movie just kind of takes place in like the it's a really sort of chic um like a modern i guess i i assume pacific oh yeah the whole movie is like an audi ad 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if Audi made houses, that's what this would be. And I have to say my favorite part about this movie, Chance, Go ahead. is none other than uh, Lewin Davis himself, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac is unbelievable. So I saw this movie with a, uh, a former co-worker, Chance. I think you'll appreciate this. Okay. She go, I like at the end of the movie, I was raving about Oscar Isaac and she's like, the reason you like him so much is he's like the tech world personality version of you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Thank you, coworker. Oh, that's, I like it. Um, cause she's he, like, you're always just trying to hang out, but at the end of the day, you're probably scamming us all. It is so funny. You know how I think about I put this theory to you on phone calls or when we've just talked a couple times, but you know how like something like House of Cards becomes so embroiled in its love of power dynamics and, man- and manipulation that it seems like any two characters or, you know, three, as actually happened in the show, um, could just start banging yeah. at any moment. Oscar Isaac embodies such a convincing sort of fleetingly social version of like, you know, Domo Gleason is always like trying to ask some serious question and he's always just like, Caleb, listen, can we just, can we have a little dude Caleb, time? Can we have a what's little dude time? Of girl? No, of salad dressing. Yeah, of girl. What's your type of girl? You know what? Don't even answer that. Let's say it's black chicks. Okay, that's your thing. For the sake of argument, that's your thing, okay? Because you did a detailed analysis of all racial types and you cross-referenced that analysis with a points-based system? No. You just attracted the black chicks. Also, there's just so much space for Oscar Isaac to be, like, I don't know, just, like, broishly convivial, but incredibly menacing at the same time. He is always just, like, right. putting back, like, pint glasses of vodka like while lifting like 35 pound dumbbells explaining what the touring test and the minute caleb is like let's talk about the touring test he's like whoa 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 buddy like can't we just be a couple guys for a second like he's well i mean i think that's like a testament to how good the script is Mm -hmm. because they like they wrote well he i mean oscar isaac is the linking factor in this movie he's our reclusive genius yes exactly and he yeah all he does is like I mean, well, you could probably say that about, like, most of these uh, reclusive geniuses, but all he does is really hang out in his little house thing and uh, drinks. Yeah. And 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 manipulate the hell out of the other person. Do you think this movie will, like, well, do do you think this movie's good? You haven't really tipped your hand quite yet. I haven't. Um, No, I think it's really good. Right. My question for you is, now that we agree that it's good, I feel like this movie might make, like, a... Like a play for some indie Oscar buzz. I mean, it came out in April also, so probably not. But I, I take your point. I don't know. It may, it may swing back around come Oscar season. It could. Um, it could all, Only time will tell. It could definitely be one of those movies, though, that gets like a little bit of like a red box and on-demand kind of bump like for the next nine months people will be like oh sure people will be like oh i just saw ex machina like how good is this movie um it could be right it's not a great comparison but it's the only one i can kind of think of right now like, don't you dare say snow piercer no but i love snow piercer okay. do you not like snow piercer snow piercer was garbage oh okay we cannot talk about this because 
we have to get through. But my just know that my tone for the rest of the podcast is going to be frosty at best. <laughs> you are so, Oh, my God. Okay. God, you have such terrible taste in film. You're, oh, you're a moron. Um, oh, my God. I don't even want to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> what if this was the last episode? You just, like, offhandedly, like, gave your opinion on Snowpiercer and we were done. Yeah, and then there was never another episode made. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about the other two movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, like, years later, we hit, like, episode 700 or something, and some, like, production assistant is like, never mention Snowpiercer. <laughs> We're working out of, like, different different studios in different cities. <laughs> right. And, like, yeah, exactly. A page is, like, <laughs> a page is like, have they ever considered doing Snowpiercer? And someone's just like, oh, my God, No. Never bring that up around. Don't even two. joke about that. <laughs> Don't even joke about Snowpiercer. <laughs> That's funny. Oh no! Um, but we should not get into it. Um, one of the things I really like about this movie feels really contemporary because of the kind of manipulator it portrays Nathan slash Oscar Isaac to be. I really like how it kind of synthesizes a character out of like what we imagine kind of like oh i don't know like douchey entitled party boys of like the silicon valley rich that kind of wealth right um, no he he's like he's definitely like what we picture like mark zuckerberg actually being right if like if mark zuckerberg was also like kind of a party animal who is like weirdly a jock too there's a lot to dislike right. about him. There's a lot of cultural signifiers coming to bear on one man in a tank top in this movie. Right. Um, if, like, Michael Phelps owned, like, a big Silicon Valley exactly. company, it'd be like this. <laughs> exactly. And it also brilliantly sort of uh, parlays um, a very prescient surveillance kind of fear into it. Because one of the things you find out very right. early, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler is that to make the AI, he's essentially stolen everyone's internet history and records because, like, he owns a version of Google, so it's just kind of, you know, omnipresent. For a sci-fi thriller all about the dangers of technology or whatever the greater theme is, there's surprisingly little, like, actual technology shown in the movie, and that kind of makes it... Like, that, this movie's not going to get dated very quickly. Good point. It's sort of timeless. Like, this could have been, like... I mean, this could be now, or this could be in the future. What was I going to say? So, wait, is there, is there anything you don't like about it? Is there anything I don't like about it? Um, I mean, I didn't like the way it made me, like, feel as a human being. It really made me, like, question <laughs> my ethics mm-hmm. by the end. Like, because, um, like... Y- you kind of like, let me ask you this, and I don't think this spoils anything, but did you sympathize with the robot by the end? Um, like, did you honestly pass the Turin test yourself? <laughs> oh, my God. Because I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I think no. that I was, like, legitimately, like, I feel for this robot and her endgame here. Like, I support her getting that. Uh, it's just, it's so much baiting to Oscar Isaac's performance, but I... It was so, I was so in on him that, right. you know, he basically had the, not the last word, but the resounding word 
about everything about the robot and about the technology. And he was such a yeah. manipulative, um, abusive, murderous almost kind of prick that... Well, that's the question of the movie is like, is he though? Like, because like you, that, that only applies if you think the robots are human. Uh, if they're just true. like robots, th- he's, he hasn't done anything wrong. I mean, other than some, like, morally questionable, like, information gathering, I don't think anything he physically does in the movie, if you don't, if you do pass the Turin test and you think they are just robots. Yeah. He hasn't done anything wrong. You feel bad for Ava? (sighs) Feel bad for yourself, man. One day the AIs are going to look back on us the same way we look at fossil skeletons in the plains of Africa. It's a great movie, and it does, like, a lot of good work on, like, the human mind. That's true. And that's why I'm rating this good, good. I will agree. It is is really good, good. Oh, uh, my girlfriend's holding up a sign right now that says, Explain the rating system. The rating system is as follows. Good, good, like we just described, Ex Machina, is a movie that's highly watchable and uh, also very well made. Yep. Which Chance and I agreed Ex Machina was, so that can be our example for today. Bad, good, which is... Which one's that one, Chance? (laughs) Bad, good is poorly made, highly watchable. Which, bad good. Which so like a bad good. Eighty percent of Kurt would, Russell movies. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, good bad, which is like a movie that's like a good movie. It makes you think, um, but it's it's not something you want to watch all the time. Like Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. Um, so that's what good bad. Yep, and then bad bad is. And then bad bad is a movie that is not well made, and not watchable at all. And my classic example of that. Is Snowpiercer. Oh my god. I. Th- or, or White Chicks. Let's move on. If, if you needed to go a little bit deeper. Let's move on. Um, so, Chance, why don't we move next to. Oh, well, my question is. Um, well, there's a, a theme, and maybe we should talk about this after. Um, Finding Forrester, maybe they, well, that's the one we can go to right now. But the theme of, or like this motif that keeps uh, coming up, where the idea of only asking soup questions. Oh, yeah. But I feel like that is like a prevailing thing between oh, like the, the mad genius. Of course. And his like the weird outsider. Like you can't ask any of them like super serious questions. Absolutely. That's so smart. I cuz Sean Connery talking to the kid only soup questions. Yeah, he says please. he can't ask him like anything about. Well, here's the setup to this movie. Okay. Uh we were following like a 16-year-old African-American boy living in the Bronx in like a very 90s version of the Bronx. Yep. Um and he like scores really well on a test one day. And even though he's got bad grades because he scored well on this test and because he can play basketball, this like Manhattan private school wants to bring him over. And like, while this is all unfolding, um, 
he's like there's shots of him playing basketball talking to his friends and they keep discussing you know akin to like old man marley from home alone one like trading old people uh old people lore they look up at this window at this guy with these binoculars who's always watching them and they sort of like have made up a story for him yeah so this young guy who just scored well on this test and is going to this private school is convinced to break into this guy's apartment and they meet and he leaves his backpack and they finally like start talking and it turns out that Sean Connery who plays the old man uh, is in fact you know the bastard child of uh, J.D. Salinger and Harper Lee exactly just like rotting away up in the Bronx his family's lived there for like a million years and he just wrote one really good book that everybody knows like even people who don't know anything uh, and then he never wrote another book again and now he lives uh, as a, a reclusive genius yep a lot of aspiring authors talked about writing the great 20th century novel William Forrester did it this was the only one he chose to write. Someone legendary. Mr. Forrester was unavailable for comment. Yeah, I bet he was. Is about to be discovered. It was directed by Gus Van Sant. Um, right. The working title was uh, the uh, the Black Goodwill Hunting for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think this movie's... Oh, man. I have written so down... tell me what you think is... I have written down it. that like this is a uh, this is like a uh, Frank Darabont level all time for tapping the same idea on the shoulder like in close proximity. This is like a <laughs> this is Shawshank to Green Mile esque in terms of being like you know what is anyone gonna mind if I uh, Those are just great movies. just make Those the same are great movie films. again? I mean it's a classic like '90s came out in 2000. Yeah, but it still has that, like, 90s pastiche on it, if you or patina on it, if you will. Okay, hold on. But you, we had a conversation, and we both, in the course of a couple weeks, say six months ago, watched Goodwill Hunting, and both decided that it was far worse than we remembered it. Do you think this movie's better than Goodwill Hunting? I'm going to have to go ahead and say, Age-wise, because I just watched Finding Forrester and Goodwill Hunting recently, I feel like I can fairly say that I think Goodwill Hunting has aged better. No, no, I'm sorry, that Finding Forrester has aged better yeah. than Goodwill Hunting. Because like, there aren't those horrible Goodwill slow Goodwill Hunting like, would have made any sense if it was released today. You know, it was only a couple years after this that The Wire came out. Like, one of the, like like kind of untenable things I found about this movie is that like it it fixates on the idea that like genius of a certain kind of the Sean Connery kind can like lay sort of dormant and unnoticed in anyone but the but the far better movie the movie that like engages with like humanity at all is that like socialization teaches people different kinds of intelligence and different kinds of genius, if you will. And the fact that they both like come together to write Hallmark cards is irritating and is like not as humanist as I think well, Gus Van Sant would like. Another, if I can take another step with you, um, well, I feel like it takes 
I don't know. It the, like my like moral questions with this movie is I feel like it doesn't necessarily have the kid who's supposed to be learning something here embrace his own dreams as much as he gives up on his own dreams and embraces the dreams of like this old white guy. It's a real white savior movie. Why is it the words we write for ourselves are always so much better than the words we write for others? Move. Go ahead. Go ahead and what? Right. What are you doing? I'm writing. Like you'll be when you start punching those keys. So are you accusing this movie of just like being racist? Not so aggressively, but like, but like, who is the kid? That should be the point of the movie, right? Like, I think, and I think Rob Brown acts really well because like, he convinces you. He's incredible. He convinces you that he likes William Forrester, which William Forrester is like nothing but an asshole to him. And the fact that like, this kid would like look up to him in some sort of heart. But that's another, that's another trope of. The reclusive genius movie yeah. is that for some reason the the outsider is just in love with that person for no real good reason. That's true. Like uh, Dom Hall Gleason, like from the moment he gets to that house, is like best friends with Oscar Isaac, like right up until the end. Yeah, but I feel like that's because like you know they work for the same company. Like ideally, like one, be, like Dom Hall Gleason wants to become Oscar Isaac. I don't understand. Well, that's the same thing as what happens in uh, Finding Forrester. Right, right, but it doesn't it's it doesn't make any fucking sense in Finding Forrester. Oh man. This you didn't think that this movie tugged at the heartstrings a little bit, you know, kind of felt like romantic about books for a minute. So, okay, so I would have sa- I won't be mean about this. I would have said yes until the climactic scene, and I have no qualms about spoiling this one because it's 13 years old and you could guess what happens. Or 15. Um, until the final... Oh, because it's beat for beat, like the plot that you'd expect throughout the whole thing. <laughs> right. Until the final scene where Connery is, like, reading Jamal Wallace's prose in front of, like, this group at the private Manhattan school and they all think it's, like, him, like, returning from the shadows to read his own. Um... And the fact that it, like, cuts out and plays violin music instead of the prose, it's like the surest sign that the script is garbage. Right. They originally had the whole, like, speech in there, and they're like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. Just cut to, like... Just reaction shots. the, the the, The music in this movie is also insane. Oh. I'm sorry that you found this movie to be, like, racially questionable, Chance. It's hard not to see, you know, it's it's hard not to see, like, I think Rob Brown gives the performance of this movie, and yet, like, like, nobody gave a shit. It was just, like, if you look at the, <laughs> I'm looking at the theatrical poster for the movie right now, and it's just, like. Oh, yeah, it's, it's three quarters Sean Connery, this little kid in, like, one of the corners, and then, like, the title of the film. I like that. Well, yeah, it's, like, 75% Sean Connery, but, like, also with the kid walking, like, Sean Connery's there, too. <laughs> So <laughs> it's, a, 
<laughs> it's the double it's the double connery it is the double connery which is the worst way to market a movie about like a recluse because the movie is like the movie for the first half hour is a little concerned with the reveal of who this man is right punch the keys for god's sake Yes! Yes! You're the man now, dog! Because did you know that, um, I didn't know this until I was reading about it, that Rob Brown was, had never acted before? Right, he like just went for a, some sort of extra audition because he needed money to like pay a bill or something. Right, yeah, totally. And he was expecting to get like 200, 300 bucks out of it. And then they cast him as the, the, uh, the lead of the movie. Which, which, okay, so this is what I want to ask you about um, before we sort of get to our final showdown about what we, what we think this movie is. Uh-huh. Um, this is like a thing that I think about Gus Van Sant. Like, he must have been so excited about the fact, right, that he found someone. I'm sure in his mind he thought like, oh, I've found a 16-year-old young man who parallels the character because it's like a sort of like untapped like virtuosity, like hiding in plain sight. Um, uh, but yet that mashed together with like, you know, what's pretty much like a big studio movie in terms of like the sap that's dripping on you. The entire time, and as we alluded to right. earlier, like Sean Connery as God. Um, do we have? Why do we think Gus Van Sant is a good filmmaker? Ooh, do we think that? See, I don't think I do, but I think that I think that Gus Van Sant is like an interesting filmmaker, but like he definitely knows. But I think he's like he's probably a financially successful, for the most part, filmmaker for the ambition he has for stuff, you'd think. What I want to know is like, so I was leading you, but I don't think Gus Van Sant is very good. I think for some reason, even I still get excited about like, oh, wait, there's a new Gus Van Sant movie coming out. Like, what is that? Oh, Promise Land? Like, oh, it's garbage. <laughs> um, but do, do, we, do we have an American director... Oh, no who wants to direct like these sort of like naturalistic and very earnest human stories. Like, I feel like we only have him and Cameron Crowe who hasn't made a good movie. Like, do we, am I forgetting someone or do we need someone who I feel like doesn't... in that same sort of vein, every once in a while you'll get like a really interesting Ron Howard movie that'll yeah. be like this. yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Everyone's got a style, and that's why I kind of like this movie. But it's not a good movie. No, it's not. Buddy. So <laughs> I'll give it bad good. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna give it bad bad. Do you want to move on? <laughs> what? <laughs> this movie sucks. No, meet meet me in the middle. I'm not. I met you at Stargate. <laughs> I shan't meet you again. You were, you were you were not entertained watching this movie. No. You, why? Because like, have you no heart? Should we should we get to the gruesome stuff, dude? Are we talking about the fly? You're afraid to be destroyed, recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh no! What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. 
What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh no, a fly. I suggested this movie to you. I'd seen it twice before. Um, I just assumed you had seen it, and then Noah texted me on the night he was watching it, and he's just like, oh my god, have you seen this? And I was just like, yeah, man, like a couple times. And he's just like, I, I, I'm pretty upset by this. And I was just like, wait, have you never seen it? Because it's pretty, um, like, gory and, like, gut-wrenching. Yeah, that, that doesn't, that doesn't begin to describe, like, the level of just, like, like, just horrible things happen to the human body. Yeah. And, like, horrible things happen to animals and, like, horrible things happen to, like, people's emotions. Like, this movie is, like, a goddamn roller coaster. Yeah. There's... I had to look. There, there were a couple times I had to look away. It was gruesome. Yeah, it was pretty gruesome, man. This movie basically starts mid-conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. With Jeff Goldblum trying to have sex with Gina Davis, who just is like a social context or historical contest. He is actually dating real life Gina Davis in while this movie was being filmed. Yeah, they married after it was done. Yeah. And so the movie begins mid-conversation and he's trying to have sex with this this woman and Basically, he's just like, well, if I show you a teleportation machine, will you have sex with me? And then the movie unfolds from there. <laughs> it is, like, astounding how charged their conversation... Because, okay, so <laughs> you've, given your, you've given a nice perspective on it. The perspective that most people would give is that she's a journalist at, like, a science fair, and she works for a place called Particle Magazine, and he's well, just, these are just incidental details. Yeah, he's like, everyone else here is a hack. You need to come see what I'm working on. But you're totally right. From in the first five minutes, it is so sexually charged between these two. Like, it's coming off the yeah. screen at you. They they've like already had sex, mm-hmm. and you're just like, just the camera hasn't realized it yet. Exactly. Oh my god, it's it's great. And then they end up back in this garage where Jeff Goldblum's built a machine that can teleport like something from one thing to like a pod with or to a, between two pods. Yeah. He can teleport stuff. He's been kind of like pushed um, into the margins of like a large scientific company cuz he's like sort of working on this passion project that you get the sense that the larger company doesn't think will amount to anything so he's kind of been working in an urban warehouse for five years and kind of no one cares right but he's a genius and so he's made this amazing he's he's a genius a reclusive genius yeah um and he's also like ordered like the parts he needs through like different people who make them so no one like in his team knows what they're doing yeah and he like assembles it all in like an off-site location and which is this garage, which most of the movie takes place in. And to again point out how sexy it is, in the second scene, when she's at the warehouse, and she ostensibly is like, how do the pot teleportation pods work? He's just like, well, I, I can show you if, if you have uh, jewelry. or And, and she, um, <laughs> she's like, I don't wear jewelry, and immediately takes off like a thigh-high stocking. And just kind of drips it into his hand. Like, that is how right. charged this movie is. Well, that and that leads me to my first question about this movie, Chance, for you, is 
Is there a script to this movie, or are they just kind of <laughs> winging it? I think Cronenberg like kind of doesn't give a shit what happens scene to scene. I think he has a a really like perfect arc for the movie, but I think yeah, it's a lot of like Gina, Jeff, shall we? I mean, and that's it's really funny because like there are scenes where like horribly graphic things happen, but if you think about like what's happening like in that scene other than this like weird gross special effect, it's like nothing. Like these people are like babbling inanely. <laughs> like like Jeff Goldblum is like rattling off like poetry that he's like augmented to serve Yeah. Uh like the word plasma. Like that's an Alexander Pope poem. Right. That he says as he's like running out the door. Yeah. But he replaces the word like lake with plasma or plasma water pool. with plasma or something. Yeah. But I, I I mean, well that brings us to the question from earlier uh in the podcast is um do you think there is any difference between normal Jeff Goldblum and then the fly Jeff Goldblum? I know you wanted to, I mean, I won't answer because I know you want to. This is your theory. Go for it. You think no? Well, no, I mean, I just think, I think that Jeff Goldblum is just like that manic all the time. And they told him to like tone it down for the first half of the movie, but then you can do whatever you want yeah. after that. Because there is no script. They're just letting Jeff Goldblum, like, fuck around, sometimes in, like, a big bug suit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't Under diss... five hours of prosthesis. Yeah, don't diss this, the makeup in this movie, because, like, it's... We can get to this in a while if you want, but, like, this... I think that this movie, 1986, I'll say again, is, like, it al- is almost like a Jaws-esque testament to how much more visceral things you can do with prosthetics than you can do with computers. Well, this is the this is the special effects team did that did the melting face from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Absolutely, which to this day, so they is know. Scary. Yeah, it still terrifies the hell out of me. Um, but yeah, and there's also like much like I liked Ex Machina, and for the same reasons, like the story's small. Yeah, like, it's. They, like, focused on, like, there's only maybe, like, three or four big special effects in the film. Um, and they just focused on, like, what can we do, like, in a three, again, a three-character drama. Oh, you're totally but, right. Like, yeah. With a science fiction. Again, it could it could have been a play because most of the action takes place either there or the weirdly plush offices of... Um, Particle Magazine. Uh, Particle Monthly. <laughs> Um, like what? What's the circulation on that bad boy? The, so, so we should say the third character in the movie is John Getz, who plays like an ex-lover of Gina Davis, who's also her oh, editor. You mean Stathis? Stathis. Stathis. Sorry. Um, the actor's name is John Getz. The the thing that I loved is when he's spying on her because he's still jealous and kind of wants to be with her in like a purely physical right. way. You can't spy on someone in a car that has the vanity plates of the magazine that you work at. Like, it's a dead giveaway. Right. My ear. No. I'm scared. In the Cronenberg style, this is a movie that kind of expertly withholds its gore, I would say. Until, oh, yeah. until it, it does you up. And it's I mean, it's very like uh, History of Violence. Did you see that? I've actually watched it recently. Yeah, History of Violence is great in that way because it's just like a lot of building tension yep. to then just like horrible, gruesome shit. Eastern Promises is the same way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it really works in this movie, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I think 
the script is smart in that way to build up Jeff Goldblum. And then, like, for a while, he gets, like, really attractive and buff. And then, like, then he starts to deteriorate. So, like, you're really, like, feeling... You, you like, know what Jeff Goldblum looks like by the end of this yeah. movie. And it's, like, horrible to, like, compare the two. Yeah. It's, uh... I think that's part of why the ending is so, like, horrifying is because, like, you know what Jeff Goldblum looks like and it still sounds like Jeff Goldblum. It's not CGI. It's all prosthetics. It's all. It's like a butcher shop on his face right. as, like, his kind of, like flesh sort of like falls away and he becomes this kind of bug man and i thought about yeah you know i was trying to put cronenberg in context and i was thinking about refin because we just watched drive um yeah and he kind of thinks of gore and violence as art he thinks of it like a music video and cronenberg kind of treats it like the kid in your like high school biology class who's like a little he just wants too, to blow something up. Yeah, he's too interested in like cutting into the thing you're dissecting. Like it's all just like Right. But like in guts. a good way though. Yeah. In like a, a way that's like I would watch a movie of that sociopath who's dissecting that yeah. fetal pig over there. It's like him looking around at a pre production meeting going like, What if we filmed like a monkey but like inside out? <laughs> oh yeah. I'll, this is my final bait to Cronenberg, but the point that I really wanted to make is, so I think that it's all it's it's hard for me, and I think I think hard for a lot of people to kind of sum up like, you know, what a director is looking for in a movie. But I kind of, I kind of project that a director is looking for, like he knows what the director he or she knows what pieces are coming to the table, ultimately, and then kind of like work some larger art out of the pieces that the person knows will be there. And I think that that is someone who's sort of seen Goldblum's neuroticism, but also kind of understands that he can be sexy. And the the thing that I wrote down that I really love is Howard Shore, who is like a, a very, uh, like a repeat customer for overwrought film compositions for the last 30 years. Yeah, they just... They just let him loose on this one. But I think that I, I like in my head to imagine that Cronenberg knows like, okay, Howard's going to put together this like bullshit melodramatic score. And so like in the moment when the fly spoiler, it's 25 years old is, uh, <laughs> is the fly is like fused with the metal pod and he's dying. And it's like the ultimate moment of like Dr. Frankenstein, like I fucked up. I reached too high and he wants to die, like, he knows Howard Shore is going to turn in that, like, ironic, like, heightened discovery score with 10,000 violins and horns, and it's it's yeah. just such a beautiful moment of, like, synthesis between the parts of this movie, and I just, I yeah. just think Cronenberg's great. You know what I love about this movie, though? Just, like, how simple the... I love simple plots, Chance. That's all I'm looking for. Sure. And... I think the plot of this movie, if you break it down simply, well, I, I was questioning for a while, like, why was the guy, like, why did he even invent a teleport? Like, what, like, what's the point of this movie? Like, where, <laughs> right. where are we? And, like, I realized the point of the movie is, like, this is what's happening. Like, this guy was, like, he gets terribly carsick. And he was just looking for, like, a way to get from A to B that, like, didn't involve a car. Yeah. It's very true. Like, that's, I mean, that's such an incredible, like, little nugget of this movie that, like, that's what led him on this whole quest. It's a great point. Um, 
and it kind of reminded me of, you know, without the racial politics, of course, but like movies like this do have an interest in like in like a DIY genius, right? Like, what if there was someone out right. there who had some sort of hyper? Someone who plays by their own rules. Yeah, plays by their own rules. Had a hyper personal interest in discovery. Uh, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No, be afraid. Be very afraid. Gina Davis is so good in this movie. I felt this was her. You know, I wrote down to remind to ask Chance, would you have sex with Gina Davis in this movie? Right. Um, it was her first starring role. IMDb told me. Um, that wasn't my question. She also she brings something to the table that like. So this is the other thing, like, you know, a thing about Ex Machina that, like, kind of falls by the wayside is also that just, like, you know, Donald Gleason is, like, fucking whatever, right? Oscar Isaac can play with him like a cat plays with a mouse. Gina, Dav- right. Gina Davis has this, like, dilettantish quality where she also has, like, a huge heart and her own baggage and her own desires. And right. it's really what you need to make someone as alien as Goldblum in this movie worth latching on to. Chance, I'm interested to hear like what you think this movie is. Cause I might surprise you. Okay. Um well I have I have an idea of what you think it is. I I think that this movie is good good. Um, I agree with you. Oh, good. Oh, man. That makes me happy. Yeah. I think that it's... No, I mean, like, it's a deeply, like, fucked up, like, disturbing oh, movie. Yeah. But, like, it was great. Like, it really, like, messed with me. And I'd watch it again. Like, it's campy as hell. I I think campy is right. But, like, there's something about you, you intelligently pointed out how the smallness of it diminishes the camp to a way where like the movie is like six inches in front of your face and you cannot look away at how scary this kind of like three room like deterioration of this man's body is it's horrifying i mean like it's a little gory than i typically prefer in like a (laughs) horror movie but i'm glad that we agree that it's good good though good i'm I'm glad too because i i kind of i was like halfway through when i went into it i thought it was going to be like Bad good. Bad good. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Like And like I think it actually might be like good good, if not like great, great. And you know, I forgot that Cronenberg made it. I felt exactly the same way. I was just like, this will be campy and silly and goofy and ultimately really watchable. And then I was like, But wa- it like I was it watching packs it. a pretty killer punch. Yeah. There's a joke in the noise. Well, this has been a fun podcast. I encourage everybody to follow us on the Twitter um, at Be Real Guys, real spelled like film real. That's right. And shoot us an email with questions, comments, or concerns to uh, Be Real Guys at uh, gmail.com. That's right. And you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes, however you prefer to stream yeah. or download. Have a terrific evening, everyone, or morning, or whatever time it is. Bye, guys. I love him. He's so-